Welcome to the Sabbath School Rescue Podcast with your host, Buster Swoops and Michael Campbell. This week in preparation for Sabbath, May 27th, we look at Lesson 9, A City Called Confusion. Together, let's discover the context and the meaning of Babylon from the perspective of Revelation and its relevance to us in 2023. The Sabbath School Rescue Podcast is hosted by Michael Campbell and Buster Swoops at the Adventist Learning Community. Together, we love learning and have 18 years of pastoral experience, and now we have the privilege to dig deeper into the study. All right, Michael, here we are, Lesson 9, A City Called Confusion. And Revelation 17, verse 14 is our memory text coming from the New King James Version. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with Him are called chosen and faithful. Yeah, so, you know, here we are talking about the great controversy and not only a city called confusion, but the symbolism that's so uh, poignant in Revelation chapters 12 and 17. Yes, uh, you know, as we're going to be talking about Babylon, I know there's a lot of confusion about what exactly that means. And so hopefully this lesson brings clarity to that. And so, Michael, uh, can you tell us about two contrasting systems? Sure, absolutely. I mean, first thing is that I think, you know, Babylon's an easy kind of uh, way to describe something that people don't like, right? So (laughs) (laughs) I don't like someone, I don't feel that they're uh, uh, orthodox, whatever, and then say, well, they're Babylon. And and so we have to be a little bit cautious here that we're not just going around and naming names and trying to I don't like somebody or something, but um, labeling but, them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But scripture is actually clear. And and actually this idea um goes back a long time. I mean, you know, two contrasting systems, two contrasting cities. Um, Augustine, the the famous uh early church uh theologian, um, he has a whole thing about um uh this idea of 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 two cities and um and, and and again, contrasting, you know, Rome or Babylon is as he would have put it versus the heavenly city or the New Jerusalem and so on. And so this is this is something that is a very ancient idea. Um, so this idea of two cities or a tale of two cities, <laughs> to use a little more modern uh, <laughs> uh, reference to, uh, to to literature um is is what's going on here and so revelation chapter 12 verse 17 says and this is the famous text that that we like to use in evangelistic meetings and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of god and have the testimony of jesus and so uh here you see um this this kind of this portrait described for us um of of god's end time people and the woman representing the church right right and revelation chapter 17 verse 14 uh describes this a little bit more uh and they will wage war against the lamb but the lamb will triumph over them because he is lord of lords and king of kings and with him will be his called chosen and faithful followers and there's different translations but usually this is often where a lot of people um, in Adventist circles, we use this this word called remnant, right? Mm-hmm. And remnant, and we've talked about this before, but this is not this is not something that like an exclusive club. It's just those who are left that are last at the very end, just like a remnant of cloth. 
Um, but this is these are other uh, operative words that help us to understand um, that that end time people, those who are called, those right. who are chosen, and those who are faithful, and uh, that that I think helps to describe um, God's God's people at this very uh, critical juncture. And uh, of course, Revelation fourteen verse eight has the warning of the second angel, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, the great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And of course, verse uh, Revelation 17, um, there at the beginning of the chapter, uh, describes uh, those who commit adultery and the inhabitants of the earth are intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Again, describing the other side of this uh, false system, right? So, mm-hmm. So again, God's people versus this false system and again um this is not to kind of go around and you know point fingers you know but but it's something bigger than an individual or uh, even um uh, you know groups of individuals we're talking about whole false systems of worship between christ and satan and and so that contrast couldn't be more stark so um there's this reference obviously revelation 17 about the wine of the wrath um what what what's that all about buster yeah you know the question that leads up to the one of the wrath is how extensive is babylon's influence and uh, it gives a couple of uh, quote uh, quotes here from scripture uh, revelation 17 1 2 and 15 and then revelation 18 4 just because of the pertinence of all of those i'm going to go through those so we can understand uh, where it's coming from revelation 17 1 new king james Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the whole earth were uh, were made drunk with the wine of her fornication, and finishes off there with, then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the uh, where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And it's important to understand, I think the lesson did a great job here, Michael, of explaining what does it mean by committed fornication, and that is an illicit union, a union that should not have taken place, but it's also an intentional union. Uh, this is, I guess you could say, the antithesis of the kingdom of heaven, uh, the kingdom of earth. Uh, Satan setting up his throne, and not just his throne, but his ways. And as a result of that, we see uh, groups and nations and tongues and people, right? Uh, The three angels' message is to every kindred, nation, tongue, and people. And we're going to see here why, and Revelation 18 brings out why. And this says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, Babylon, uh, the great is fallen, is fallen, has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, and this is important, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, unless you receive her plagues. And so we can see that the extent of Babylon's influence is vast, it's massive, and it also comes with a choice. And I, I know we're talking about kings and nations and people, but ultimately, and this is why I love God, it comes down to an individual choice. Uh, even though those around me have chosen to side with Babylon, if you will, 
uh, we still have a decision to make. Are we going to follow God or are we going to follow that of the world? And prayerfully, we're choosing to follow that side of God. But here we see that Babylon has corrupted, has brought confusion in, has made the earth a drink of the wine of her uh, wrath of her fornication. But this is not made, it is enticed. And the enticement has seemed great. And we see that there in Revelation uh, 18, Michael, where they're saying the uh, merchants have become rich. Uh, if you if you will, uh, I, I know some students that I've talked to in the past, current, future, right? Uh, as I'm talking with them, a lot of them have given over to the easiness of the world uh, with some things that are out, such as AI, I know the writers of Hollywood are on strike right now because they're combating AI. Well, academia is fighting AI right now. Uh, yeah. one, of our, one of our good colleagues, Michael, they put out recently uh, that one of the students put a review out on her and said, even with chat GPT, I could barely keep up with this class. Wow. That's scary to think about. Yeah, very scary. And and, and it's, it's the reason why I bring that up is because the ways of the world are creeping into our lives in a manner that we probably haven't seen before, but there's nothing new under the sun. And the only combatancy that we have is to align ourselves with the kingdom of heaven. And I think that's one thing that we, we failed to do. We preach against Babylon, but we forget that the only real way to preach against Babylon is to go with Revelation 14, not just the three angels' message, but to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. As we align with him, the influence of Babylon in our own lives will diminish. And so it's important to know that. And it brings us next to Michael Tuesday's lesson, Mystery, Babylon the Great. Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> this this does sound mysterious, doesn't it? So, uh, well, let's read the, the text. Revelation 17, verses 4 to 6. We're back in chapter 17 again. Here's this description for us. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. And she held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. And the name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. <laughs> so here we have this description. A lot of it, you know, <laughs> like most of Revelation, there's a lot of symbolism here, right? So right. It clearly is not something very positive. And, uh, you know, the, the the mystery of iniquity, <laughs> adulteries, and all of these things, um, and and I think what is really important to catch here is that of these two systems, one is based on human works and human effort. It's on on what 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 people can do to save themselves versus God trusting God to to save God's people. Then at the time, who will completely trust in the power of God and his transforming grace and power in their lives. And so, yes, yeah, it's, it's really just boils down to its most simple, two very different systems of worship. Right. And, uh, you know, this is, this is what's going on. And, and I think that's important as, as we're looking at that, that contrast. Um, I do think we tend to get a little obsessed on some of the details, right? So what, what is Babylon? What, what, you know, can I find some kind of 
hidden secret meaning or code or something like that. Um, I know some Adventists have had a proclivity uh, towards the a certain conspiracy theory about the papal tiara. This is just a little fun side note. <laughs> uh, the vicarious Philly day, you know, that that supposedly the Pope has on his uh, papal tiara. And and of course, that's that's just not true. Um, and unfortunately, some people have made that claim and, and, and people, you know, it's easily disproved. Back, back around 1905, 1906, there was an Adventist pastor actually went to the Vatican, went to Rome, got out his binoculars and started uh, following the Pope around anywhere he could, any papal ceremonies, just to see if he could, he wanted a glimpse of the vicarious Philly day. Um, and and what well, the crazy thing is, Buster, he, he couldn't find it. It's not there. So he asked the the uh, person in charge of the papal wardrobe, can I please go see the papal tear? And they're like, no way. And he kept persisting until finally uh, he took his request to the Pope. And the Pope's like, who is this? <laughs> he said, show them all the papal tears that we have. Show them everything. And, of course, he went through and looked at all of the ones that 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 he could find that, that were still around. And none of them had the vicarious Philly Day. He finally posted a picture of the papal tear and basically says, we still believe in this prophetic understanding, but we don't need to claim this. This claim is not actually true and cautioning. And it's that picture on the front page of the review from over a hundred years ago that some people have taken and then airbrushed in the words, vicarious Philly day, because some people want to believe it so badly. I only tell this story, make this point that let's not claim more than what actually we know. And, it, you know, whether the Pope has Vicarious Philly Day or not doesn't change my understanding of True. Scripture, Revelation chapter 17, and this understanding, uh, this description of a false system of worship. That's what's going on here and that contrast. And the point is, is don't do it. And and by the way, we, we as human beings have that temptation. We have that temptation to make ourselves better, to believe in some small way that through our human effort that we can make ourselves better before God. So whenever we depend upon ourselves, whether it's human, um, you know, human effort or tradition or um, any teachings that are not based upon scripture, we are... Um, we're slipping into that, that false system of worship that, that scripture warns us about. And that's, that's absolutely essential that we catch that contrast and we keep our allegiance on Jesus Christ. I love that, Michael. Um, coming to Jesus, we, I feel like, you know, we need an altar call, a call to commitment. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a call to commitment. It's Matthew 16, 18 and Revelation 17, 4. The pairing of those two, Michael, and uh, as, we're, as we're looking there at Wednesday's lesson, I want to go through both of those. Revelation sixteen eighteen. Also, I I also and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, this is uh, <laughs> we have to be careful with this because some people will take this and say, "Oh, he's building his his house on Peter." But no, right before that, we see what Peter said. And Peter said, you are the Christ. And that is what he's building his church on. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against that. But we also see here, Revelation 17, verse 14, it says, These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of Lord, lords and King of kings. And those who are called, uh, and those... And those who are called, uh, who are with him, are called chosen and faithful. 
called, chosen, and faithful. So what promise did Jesus give his disciples uh, regarding his church? Well, that he's going to always be with the church. And I, I love this, Michael. We see this in Revelation. We see this other places that there are sheep that are not yet of his fold. This is this is one of the reasons why I get so excited about being a Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, it's not, we, we weren't called for translation. We were not called, right? We we're called to be a chosen people, a special people, but we're not called to be the best of the best, right? I mean, meaning we're, that we're better than others. We are called because we're called for purpose. And that purpose is to proclaim God's word and his message, just like I believe every true follower of Christ is called to do. And around the world, we're doing that. And as one of the few last remaining global churches, uh, I think it's very important for us to realize it doesn't mean the church is, uh, is going to be perfect. Uh, I think, Michael, you and I can both share stories time and time again, how the church is not perfect. I think we can share time and time again about how we ourselves are not perfect. Uh, that ditto at the end, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Give us a little bit of pause for humility, you know. Yes, yes, and, and you know, as as a result of that, it helps us to realize I'm so thankful we serve a perfect God who doesn't give up on us, who forgives us, and but yet at the same time, He calls us to a commitment. Uh, he calls us to be a part of the church, and and Michael, I don't have all the research right now, but. And the Surgeon General put out uh, uh, a, a sign of warning. I think it was a couple of months ago, but it's it's prevalent. He said the the next big uh, epidemic, if you will, is is loneliness, and it's it's destroying us. It's killing us. It's wow. it's literally killing us. Mm. Uh, people are joining joining fascist groups uh, as a result of this loneliness. People are uh, depressed and anxious more so than ever because they don't belong to community. And the church has the answers to that. And I believe the call to commitment, not just to Christ, but to Christ's bride. Remember this, when, he come, when he's coming back, yes, he's coming back for us as individuals, but he, he always says, I'm coming back for my bride. We see that in Revel, uh, Matthew 25, uh, when he's coming back, uh, the Ten Fools Virgins, the bridegroom is coming. And he's coming for his bride, and his bride is the church. It is that woman that is found in Revelation. And we are called to be a part of her. Even though she is not perfect, even though she has her flaws, we're called to be a part of her and be disciples of the church. Uh, to be the, and, and uh, I, I love how a great minister once put it. He said, a lot of you are going behind the bridegroom's bride, trying to pretend that you are her husband. <laughs> we are not the husband of the church. We are the best man preparing the bride for her groom, and we we just so happen to be a part of that bride as well. And so, uh, Michael, that brings us to our our our, uh, our final category here in uh, lesson nine. And I'm really enjoying this uh, this lesson as we now jump over to Thursday. Uh, tell us about Babylon, the center of idolatry. Yeah, you know, as we keep exploring the three angels' messages, it's just so core to our Adventist identity, who we are as Adventists, and we've developed in our understanding of this over time, you know, the, the as the three angels' messages and everything else, and and so it's just so central. Uh, but, but finally, kind of wrapping up this week's lesson, we're talking about Babylon as the center of idolatry. And, you know, again, back to this idea of two contrasting systems, but in Jeremiah 50 and 51 is promised for us 
uh, is this assurance that uh, we will see ultimately uh, Babylon uh, destroyed. And mm. so, um, in fact, uh, 51 verse 17 says there will be no breath in them. I mean, they're, we're talking really destroyed. Everything <laughs> just, uh, you can read the passages from Jeremiah, you know, um, a sword against the diviners that they may become fools, a sword against your warriors that they may be destroyed. I mean, it doesn't matter how great and glorious Babylon may seem at the end, this false system of worship, all those who oppose God eventually when, when all is, is reckoned, right. Uh, that, that, that will be, um, that will be gone. And, uh, and by the way, it's just kind of a, a reminder at the end from Exodus 20, which is the commandments, right. That, right. Um, the, have any other graven images and so on in Psalm 115. Same idea, you know, that that God doesn't accept substitutes. Mm. You know, he wants our full allegiance, our full attention, and anything short of that um, is, an, is an, an idol, whether it's a false system of worship. And we could make some pastoral, personal, you know, examples too, right? I mean, uh, even good things, we can allow those if we allow that to come in place of having a living relationship with with Jesus Christ, then we we miss the point. We miss what it's what it's really all about, and that's that's part of the 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 beauty of this. And you know, I'm I'm reminded. I was just you know this this last week. I'm an Adventist historian, so I love finding stuff. I found this old periodical only last lasted for one year called the True Missionary. I've wanted to find one for a long time. Just this last week. Uh, located an actual copy of the entire thing. It only lasted the one year. And that's when Jane Andrews goes to be our first official missionary. Next year marks 150 years oh. since the official missionary went. And um, and I, I just found this, this article by Jane Andrews as, as he goes to be our church's first missionary. He writes a series of reflections through that year that are very poignant. But he says this, no man can lead, this is Jane Andrews, no man can lead others to Christ till he has first become personally acquainted with him men cannot preach the truth acceptably to god till they have first felt its saving power on their own hearts and i just think that's just a, a beautiful reminder as we think of these two contrasting systems is that we have to allow the power of god into our hearts and change and transform us from the inside out it's not just enough to have the theory of it and Andrews is the first missionary. He realizes it can't just theoretically be this. You have to experience it, God's transforming grace. And uh, when we see that, um, then then we realize, oh, that's so much better. It's yes, way yes. better. God has our best interest in mind. And what great hope that brings to me. Yeah. You know, I, I love that, Michael. And uh, coupled with that, I think of the term daily conversion, right? It's something that we should experience on a daily basis because I know I know that sometimes I've gone off of the the thrill of three weeks ago of the closeness of three weeks ago. Well, or close three weeks ago, but I'm not close today. It means I'm not close. Yeah. And so I have to choose a daily uh, dose of the Holy Spirit, of being connected with God, of surrendering to Him, uh, to and be intentionally close. So I, I love I love that that quote you just shared. Here's here's my tagline here for this week: conversion prevents confusion oh end it we're done i preach version <laughs> will prevent confusion and uh, so amen that sums up everything uh we can do our tagline mike we're, we're done <laughs> well this has been fun buster so till next week uh 
This is uh, Soup. And Swoops. Signing, Signing out. out. As we wrap up, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, the Adventist Learning Community, a ministry of the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventists. You can join us each week by subscribing on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Also, make sure you share with as many people as possible. And be sure to give us feedback by rating our podcast and go to our website, sabbathschoolrescue.org, for each weekly episode.